All right, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, have the same attitude that Jesus had. That's what he's talking about, this mind. In other words, be like-minded with Jesus. And here's how he delineates that. Who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and gives him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In these verses there are no angels. You will not find any mention of the wise men. In these verses there are no shepherds. There is no star. There is no manger, there is no Mary, there is no Joseph. But it could be, and probably is, that better than any other place in the Bible, these verses that we have read give us the true meaning of Christmas, what Christmas is really all about. First of all, from this passage, I want us to see that Jesus abandoned a heavenly position. When Jesus came into this world, Paul helps us to understand that he abandoned a heavenly position, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now we don't talk like that, you know? So what does this mean? Well, another version of the Bible translates this verse this way. Though Jesus was God, he did not think his equal position with God to be something that was to be held on to at all cost. Now, let's get a little theological. And it's okay. Theology's good. Doctrine's good. This verse has two very strong affirmations about the deity of Jesus. First of all, Paul says, in his form and in his being, Jesus is God. Now, in our form and in our being, we are human beings. That's what we are. In our being and in our form, we are human beings. But in his being and his form, Jesus was and Jesus is God. Now because Jesus is God, He is eternal. That means that the story of Jesus doesn't begin in Bethlehem. Jesus existed before He was born in Bethlehem. Now the earthly story of Jesus, the earthly life of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus began in Bethlehem 
but Jesus existed before he was born in Bethlehem. He is God. He is eternal. He has always been, and he will always be. Now, see, you and I are infinite. Human beings are infinite beings. What that means is this, that we had a beginning. There was a time when you did not exist. You had a beginning. Your existence had a point of beginning. You had a point of beginning, but your life, your existence will never end. You and I are infinite beings. Jesus is an eternal being. He has always been, and he will always be. So his story doesn't begin in Bethlehem. Jesus existed before he came into the world as a baby. That's one strong affirmation of the deity of Christ. Now, sometimes people these days talk about Jesus as if he was just another human being. Well, he was a human being, but my friend, he wasn't just another human being. He was and he is God. He's always been and he always will be who amazingly came into this world as a human being. The second affirmation about the deity of Christ in this verse is this. It's found in the phrase, equal with God. Paul says that Jesus is equal with God. Jesus is just as much God as God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He's not a sub-God. He's not less than a God, then God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, He is equal with God. Totally equal in essence and in attributes and who He is. And then Paul made this statement. Even though Jesus is God, He did not think it was robbery to be equal with God. Now we don't talk like that. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, the word translated robbery means to seize. When somebody steals something from you, when somebody robs you of something, they seize what belongs to you and they have it in their hand. They hold on to it. They clutch on to it. It's not a good feeling to have something stolen from you. When a robbery is committed against you, somebody has clutched on to that which belongs to you. As God, Jesus occupied a divine privilege in heaven. As God, Jesus enjoyed intimate face-to-face -face relationships with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. As God, Jesus was worshiped and he was adored and he was served in eternal glory by saints and by the angels. But here's the amazing thing. Jesus did not see the glories of heaven he did not see his heavenly position and privileges as something to be held on to at all cost. Because he loved mankind so much, Jesus willingly left behind and let go of the glories of heaven. He laid aside his heavenly position to come into this world as a human being. And Jesus could have held on to his position in heaven and say, Father, I'm not going down there to be among those people who hate you, who hate me, who hate God. You want me to leave this existence to go into that world, to live in those circumstances among those people. No, sir, I'm not going. But that's not what Jesus did. He didn't clutch on to his place in heaven 
and refused to give it up. He willingly, amazingly, he willingly laid aside all that was true of him. And he came into this world as a human being. And so Paul says that Jesus abandoned a heavenly position. Second of all, he says in this passage that Jesus assumed a human experience. Verse 7, but made himself of no reputation, <laughs> taking on the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man. When Jesus came into the world, he was made in the likeness of man. Now, when you study a passage like this, every word is important, every word, every phrase means something important. What this phrase means is this, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe, when he came into this world, he took on full humanity. Jesus became a human being. Fully God, fully human. Jesus, the creator of all that there is. Jesus, the eternal God, through the miracle of the incarnation and the virgin birth, came into this world as a human being. You see, the miracle of Christmas is not that a baby was born. Babies are born every day, and it is a miracle, and it's a wonderful thing. But the miracle of Christmas is that the baby that was born to Mary, that was laid in that manger, in that stable in Bethlehem, was God Himself in human flesh. He took on full humanity. John 1.14 says that Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. He became what He had never been before. A human being. Hebrews 2.14, because, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could He die. And only by dying could He break the power of the devil who had the power of death. You see, the important thing to understand about the the incarnation of Christ was it was not a subtraction. When Jesus came into the world, nothing was subtracted from him. The incarnation of Jesus was an addition. When Jesus came into the world, he didn't stop being God. Jesus in his being and form is God. Jesus could no more stop being God than you could stop being a human being. That's your being and form. You can't change that. Jesus didn't stop being God when He came into this world. When Jesus came into this world, He became a human being. He became the God-man. Fully God and fully human at the same time. Not half God and half human. Fully God and fully human. Jesus became as much a human being as you and I are. He became subject to human needs and weaknesses. He became subject to the human condition. He willingly subjected himself. It's amazing what Jesus did. He willingly, he didn't clutch on to his heavenly position. He willingly let it go. And he came into this world as a human being. The Bible says that Jesus got hungry and he got tired. The Bible says Jesus was tempted, as all of us are tempted, yet he never sinned. 
So in this amazing passage, Paul says that Jesus abandoned a heavenly position. He assumed an human existence. Thirdly, he accepted a humble place. Verse 7, but he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant. The phrase made himself of no reputation literally means that Jesus emptied himself when he came into this world. Sometimes when you pick up maybe a book that's got a little theology and doctrine in it, you'll read about the kenosis of Jesus. That's the word that is translated, he made himself of no reputation. It literally means when Jesus came into this world, he emptied himself. When Jesus came into this world, he left behind the glories and the riches of heaven. He left behind his ongoing face-to-face relationship with the Heavenly Father and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came into this world, He left behind the worship and the adoration of the saints and the angels in heaven. And He came into this world and He submitted Himself to the misunderstandings, the denials, the hatred, the unbelief, the false accusations, and every sort of reviling and persecution by sinful man. He became a part of the human condition. He became a part of the human experience. When Jesus came into this world, He gave up the shining brilliance of heaven to suffer an agonizing and brutalizing death on the cross. Jesus emptied Himself. (laughs) When Jesus came into this world, He wasn't born in a palace of a king. I mean, He's the eternal God. He's the creator of all that there is. But when He came into this world as a human being, He was not born in the palace of a king. Should have been, but He wasn't. His earthly parents were not people of wealth. They were not people of influence and status. When Jesus came into this world, He wasn't born in the comfort of a warm hospital room. When Jesus was, came into this world, He was born in a barn. He was born in a stable. The peasant parents, a little girl who was scared to death, an old carpenter who didn't know what to do when it was all happening. The birth of Jesus was not announced in Caesar's palace. It should have been. The birth of Jesus was not proclaimed in the temple in Jerusalem. There was no announcement made to old King Herod. The birth of Jesus was first announced to lowly shepherds keeping watch over their flocks in the fields of Bethlehem. For the first 30 years of his earthly life, Jesus lived unnoticed by the world. Jesus came into this world not recognized and not received As the God and the King that He is, He came into this world, Paul says, as a bondservant. He came into this world as a servant to do the will of His Father, to carry out the plan of salvation. History tells us a story. Peter the Great, one of the great czars of Russia in past history. He was the king, he was the czar, the ruler of Russia. But he wanted to get to know some of the common people that he was ruling over. So he decided that he would leave his throne and go incognito. 
amongst his people to the shipyards where they were building ships among his people. So Peter the Great left his throne, put on the garbs of a peasant, of an everyday worker, and went down and for several weeks worked on the, the shipyards at the shipyards of Russia to get to know the common people. You know what Jesus did? The eternal God of the universe, the king of all that there is, he left the throne of heaven and he came into this world as a servant, as a slave, born of peasant parents. He came to be one of us. And he came to serve, not to be served. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He willingly laid aside his, his rights as the Son of God to become a bond servant. Now at this juncture of this story, you might scratch your head and say, well, why would Jesus do that? Jesus did it for you. That's why he did that. So we see from this story that Jesus abandoned a heavenly position. He assumed an earthly or a human existence. He accepted a humble place. And then Paul helps us to understand that Jesus allowed a horrible death. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus humbled himself when he left the glory of heaven to come into this world. He humbled himself further by becoming a human being. He's God and he becomes a human being confined to time and space that he himself had created. He humbled himself further by becoming a servant. He wasn't a king. He didn't come as a, as a king. He is king, but he didn't come in the form of a king. He came in the form of a servant. Jesus humbled himself in even further when he subjected himself to persecution and suffering. My friend, you're going to suffer in this life. That's the condition of this world. No one suffered more unjustly than Jesus Christ. He knows what you're feeling. He knows what you're going through. Jesus came and he subjected himself to persecution and suffering at the hands of those he came to save. He came to save those who were persecuting him and who would put him to death. But the lowest point and the furthest extent of the humiliation that Jesus allowed himself to experience in this world was that he allowed himself to be crucified. Believe me, my friend, Jesus could have stopped that all in a heartbeat. Amen. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He could have stopped all of that process immediately. He allowed himself to be crucified. The cruelest, most excruciating, most degrading form of death ever devised by man. Jesus allowed a horrible death. He could have spoken 10,000 angels would have come to his defense. And he's God. 
He could have said two words and the whole process would have been stopped. He could have said drop dead and they all would have dropped dead. But Jesus allowed himself to be crucified. He's the God-man. He's the King of glory. He's God in human flesh. And he came into this world. He wasn't born in this palace. He, there were no headlines of his birth in the newspapers. He was born to a peasant little old girl in a stable laid in an animal food box. And he lived incognito for 30 years. Began his ministry. Three and a half years later, he died on the cross. Why did Jesus allow that to happen? 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. He's the just. Amen. We're the unjust. Why did He do that? That He might bring us to God. That we might have a way to be forgiven of our sins. That we might have a way to be saved from a lost life and a lost eternity. That's why He came into this world to die. For me and you. See, we celebrate Christmas and rightfully we should. We should sing the song about the shepherds and the wise men. We should have our, our manger scenes and we should celebrate Christmas. But never forget, Jesus came into this world, rejected by this world. He came to die. Because that was the only way that you and I could be saved from the penalty of our sins. That's the only way we could be reconciled to God. A lot of people say, well, I don't understand why Jesus had to die for my sins. I don't think I'm that bad. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done anything that bad that the Son of God would have to come into this world and live the life He lived to die for me on the cross. Am I that bad? Yes, we are. Our sin, we're all sinners, have separated us from God. We all need a Savior. And the Savior came. He was born on that Christmas day. He lived that perfect life. He died a sacrificial death. He arose from the dead that He might bring us to God. And He's the only way. He's the only way to God. Your goodness, and you might be a good person, but your goodness is not good enough. <laughs> I don't know how many people I've talked to and they say, well, I'm just as good as those people down at the church. And I've told them, innumerable times. I know you might be just as good as us folks down at the church, but the truth is you're just as bad as we are too. And we need a Savior, and so do you, my friend. Amen. And so from this passage, we see that Jesus, He was born in Bethlehem. You know what He did? See, there was a time you didn't exist. You were conceived. Your existence came into being. That's when it started. Jesus didn't start in Bethlehem. He's always been and He always will be. He became a human being in Bethlehem. He abandoned a heavenly position. He assumed a human experience. He accepted a humble place. He allowed a horrible death. But then Paul says this. He arose from the dead. And he ascended to a honored reception. The humiliation of Jesus on the cross was followed by his glorious, can I say it again? His glorious resurrection. And his exaltation and his ascension 
back into heavenly glory. Listen again, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, listen, that at the name of Jesus one day, every knee will bow of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay in that grave. He arose from the dead. Never will forget the story of the man on a street corner one day looking through the store window at a picture of Jesus on the cross. Somebody had were trying to sell a picture of Jesus on the cross. And he was looking at that. It was a vivid painting. The little boy came up beside the man as the man was looking at the picture. He could tell that the man was moved by that picture. And the man started right, uh, walking off. The little boy thought a moment. And he ran and caught up with the guy. He pulled his, his, his coat on him and said, Mr. 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 I got to tell you something. He didn't stay dead. <laughs> he didn't stay dead. He arose from the dead. And Jesus ascended into heaven. By the way, one day he's going to come from that very same heaven. You know, the Bible has more, say about the, more to say about the second coming of Jesus than it does about his first. We celebrate the first coming of Christ, but hallelujah, he's coming again. Paul says when Jesus ascended into heaven, he received an honored reception. He resumed his heavenly place. He resumed his heavenly position. He resumed those heavenly privileges and his divine prerogatives. He resumed his glorious fellowship with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he received some new titles. Titles he didn't have before. He is now Savior of all. Amen. You and I need saving. Talk to people and say, have you been saved? Saved from what? Saved from what? From a lost life and a lost eternity. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day, a young preacher guy. He said, Brother Chris, I'm trying my very best preaching. He said, but sometimes I don't know, you know. And I said, Brother, I want to tell you something. When you're preaching on the outside, the Holy Spirit of God is bearing witness on the inside. You keep preaching. You preach the truth. Because you've got a divine partner. Every time you stand in a pulpit, you have a divine par partner that is speaking to the hearts of, to, of those to whom you are preaching. You keep preaching the truth. You preach on the outside. You let the Holy Spirit do the convicting on the inside. Right now, I hope the Holy Spirit of God is convicting us that we all need a Savior. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how famous you are. It doesn't matter how, what you have or what you've done. You need a Savior because you're a sinner. You know, these days we laugh at sin. We make jokes about sin. We make movies about sin. We celebrate sin. We legislate sin. My friend, sin is a serious business. Why did Jesus come into this world? He came that we might not perish. Why are we perishing? We're perishing because of our sin. Jesus is the one who can save us. He made that possible by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, 
and his glorious resurrection. <laughs> well, also when Jesus ascended into heaven, he is now our high priest. He's the high priest of all who believe in him. Jesus is continually interceding with the Father for you and I, securing our salvation, seeking blessing and help for us. Do you know that Jesus is praying for you? If you're a child of God, Jesus is praying for you. When you go through troubles, you'll call Brother Chris and say, can you pray for me? And I'll pray for you. But I want you to know, as I pray for you on earth, Jesus is praying for you in heaven. Isn't that glorious? A high priest is interceding for us. Also, when Jesus ascended into heaven, His Lordship over all was affirmed. The Lordship of Jesus has always been true, but it was confirmed in a new and powerful way by His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His glorious resurrection. And one day, my friend, one day, some willingly, some unwillingly, but one day every created being will bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. One day they will. Those who curse Jesus today, one day their cursing will stop. And they will be forced to bow and to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. All of those who have rejected Him today, one day their rejection will stop and they will be forced to bow their knee and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. A call to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus is central to the gospel message. It's not optional. We've got some weird theology these days where people say, well, I can accept Jesus as Savior, but I don't know about giving Him my life and making Him my Lord. My friend, you don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. Jesus is Lord of the believer and the unbeliever. It's just that the believer has refused to submit to His Lordship over their life. He's my Lord. He was my Lord when I was lost. He's my Lord now. The difference is now I have willingly bowed before Him and declared that He is the Lord of my life. Amen. A call to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus is central to the gospel, not optional. For a person to be saved, for a person to receive Jesus as their Savior, they must be willing to surrender themselves to His Lordship and His complete and total control over their life. You can't have Jesus as Savior if you're not willing to surrender to His Lordship. In the New Testament, Jesus is called Lord 747 times. He's called the Savior 15 times. In the book of Acts, Jesus is called Lord 92 times. He's called the Savior twice. <laughs> He's Lord. Jesus is the Savior, but He will not save those who are unwilling to surrender to His Lordship and control over their life. Say, Brother Chris, how do I do that? Well, you do now what you will do eventually one day. You do now what one day you will do. Now bow before Him. Now say to Him, I believe. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you came into this world as that baby. I believe you lived that perfect life. I believe you died on the cross for me. I don't understand it, but I believe it. I believe you rose again. I believe you're Savior of all who will believe 
And I believe you're the Lord of all. And today I want to confess and repent of my sins. And I want to receive you as my Savior and as my Lord. And I give you my life. And you know what will happen if you do that from your heart, meaning every word of it, Jesus will come into your life and He will save your soul. And He will change you and He will change your life. He did it for me and He'll do it for you. He's the Lord. I'm glad He's my Lord. Before I was saved, I was Lord of me and I was terrible. <laughs> and the reality is Satan was Lord of me. No. I'm glad Jesus is my Lord. And I'm glad He's my Savior. And so from this passage, yeah, the wise men are good. The shepherds are good. The manger scene is good. I love it. I love it. Yesterday I was listening to Bing Crosby sing White Christmas. I do pretty good along with me and Bing, i got to tell you. <laughs> Sound pretty good. Not yet ready for human consumption, but I was pretty good, me and Bing. <laughs> I love all that stuff. I love it all. But what is Christmas all about? It's about Jesus coming into this world for you and me. He came on a rescue mission. A Savior is someone who rescues us. He rescues us. He'll rescue us from a lost life and a lost eternity if you'll give your life to Him. Because He ain't dead. He arose, He lives, and He's willing to save all who will call upon Him. So Paul tells us he abandoned a heavenly position. He assumed an earthly, a human existence. He accepted a humble place. He allowed a horrible death, but He ascended to an honored reception. You know what would make your Christmas the best Christmas of all? If you're not a Christian, the best Christmas of all is to know that Jesus who was born on Christmas Day not as a baby, but as a Savior and as a Lord. And you can be saved today. God is, God is such a wonderful God. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, you say, well, God can never save me. I'm terrible. Think of all the things I've done. Listen, He already knows all the things that you've done. He knew them when He went on to the cross to die for you. He paid the price. You owed a bill you could not pay. He paid a bill He didn't know. He did it for us. He's the Savior. If you don't know Him, I pray that you'll come and receive Him today. If you do know Him, oh, how we should worship our Lord for who He is and all that He's done for us.